0: We are so excited to announce that the second edition of Tamina Watson's book, The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America, is now out for order. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or wherever you get your books. You can do so by searching The Startup Visa Book or by finding Tamina Watson's author page on Amazon or online. That is spelled T-A-H-M-I-N-A-W-A-T-S-O-N. Thank you so much for your support and for tuning in to this episode. Hey, podcast listeners. Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration, where immigration attorney Tamina Watson discusses the latest on immigration news and issues. She talks to those who have impacted U.S. immigration laws and policies, as well as notable immigrants who have made great contributions. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration to also hear your questions be answered. Subscribe now for the latest on everything and anything
1: immigration. Hello, this is Tamina Watson on Tamina Talks Immigration. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is a brand new episode of Tamina Talks Immigration, the podcast. For the next 25 minutes, I'll be your host and we'll talk about some very interesting things, but we'll also have a very wonderful guest that I cannot wait for you to hear. This is the 97th show of Tamina Talks Immigration. Uh, For those of you who are new to Tamina Talks Immigration, this show has been around for about two years. We used to be live on radio on Desi twelve fifty a.m. quite a while ago. Uh, it was the first South Asian station in in Seattle, actually. Uh, and then we became a podcast. And the show is all about current immigration news. We interview notable people uh, who are making a difference in immigration and notable immigrants themselves. To learn more about the show, you can sign up to the SoundCloud page with Tamina watson's uh profile but you can also go to the facebook page and join almost ten thousand listeners that who that follow us and just so you have it we have a Twitter handle which is um at tamina watson and instagram handle which i'm trying to use a little bit more these days is tamina watson and please please subscribe to the podcast on itunes or wherever you get your podcast and please rate us so that other people can find us A little bit about me, I used to be a barrister in the UK, and I immigrated here myself, Uh, went through all the paperwork, a little bit different to other people's paperwork. Um, And then uh, I founded an immigration law firm called Watson Immigration Law 10 years ago. And we practice primarily business immigration. If you have questions and comments, you can find us at www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. You can email us at info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com or call us uh, at 206 5237. And we love to get questions. We love ideas. So you're very welcome to contact us and subscribe to our blog. Um, I cannot wait for you to meet our guest. But there are lots of news updates. And we are going to have a news update episode alone in the coming days. But some important days for people to remember. Number one, um, October 15th is the date that... uh, Trump's public charge rules go into effect. If you have an immigration application that you need to file for a green card, you should absolutely try to file your case before October 15th. As long as there is a postmark of Um, October 14th uh, and before, the government will still accept the cases, even if they receive the cases after October 15th. Um, These public charge rules will actually also affect employment-based cases. So all I-129 forms will actually be updated on October 15th themselves. And... um, Questions about public charge will be on the employment forms as well. Uh, they won't be as onerous, but they will be there and the scrutiny level will be increasing. So watch out. Um, the other date to keep in mind is November 21st, uh, 2019. The EB5 visa requirements are changing drastically. Uh, the minimum investment increases from $500,000 to $900,000 and $1 million becomes $1.8. And there are some other very intricate changes that will affect people's applications. So if that's something that you're looking at, don't dilly-dally anymore. Um, Another date to keep in mind is October 13th, 2019. The nonprofit that I have helped found, Widen, will be having a uh, a very large event about immigration updates. Visit the Facebook page for Widen, W-I-D-E-N, so you can learn some more and attend if you can. And then finally, we want to pay tribute to the fearless police officer who was shot and killed in Texas, Sandeep Taliwal. I know that there is a fundraiser going around for him. Um, if you can find that on social media, I know the family will be appreciative. I think there are two or three children um, involved. as uh, You know, he has left uh, in his family. Not very nice times uh, in the U.S. Not only was it a gun shooting, but, you know, it's likely there were some immigration implications in that, too. Well, um, on a cheerful note, I absolutely uh, cannot wait to introduce you to our guest. Her name is Martine Kalau.
0: Kalau. Kalau.
1: I'm sorry. That's all right. It's a beautiful name. Thank you. I said it a few times in my head in a different way, uh, so I'm glad you corrected me. Um, Martin is a, an author, speaker, and survivor of current immigration laws and reform. I'm so glad you used the word survivor. Lots to talk about on that. Her debut memoir, Illegal Among Us, recounts her journey through a seven-year deportation battle with no family or country to success as a senior level executive with an advanced degree, a father she thought was dead, and finally, her long-sought U.S. citizenship. Martine has um, written for publications like The Huffington Post, is a TEDx speaker, and has appeared on syndicated networks like C-SPAN. Thank you for being here. Thank
0: you so much for having me, Tamina.
1: Um, so honored. Thank
0: you. And congratulations on your 97th episode.
1: Oh, thank you. That's yes. incredible. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, listeners, um, Martin is in town for a very short amount of time. So I'm so glad she was able to squeeze us in. And I have to tell you, um, I had seen her from a distance just this summer when she gave this profound speech at the American Immigration Council. You were an awardee, were you not? I received the award, yes. Yeah, yes. it was a moving it was such speech. such an honor. Thank you. It was a moving speech. And... Uh, you know it was a a little snapshot into What's happening in the world of immigration? Mm-hmm. Um, yours has a, has a has a happy ending, mm. and we're going to talk about that. But many people don't, so Absolutely. I want to be able to talk about some of your experiences. Let our listeners know because a lot of our listeners are uh, interested not only uh, what's happening in the news, but also some of the real understandings of immigration itself, substantively right. and procedurally. Right. And so let's dive into it because we don't. Yeah. We we're going to run out of Time before we'll we have know so much it. to talk about, we're gonna have to bring you back. <laughs> I would love
0: to come back, <laughs> that yes. would be wonderful. So,
1: I'm holding you to that, okay? For your next book, yes, love it, okay? Um, okay, <laughs> so uh, let's talk about uh, you talk about statelessness, yes, and you know, when it's in the news and you hear state. Stateless, it doesn't necessarily mean much. It doesn't. You know, what does it actually mean?
0: Right. Um, There is an actual UN definition of statelessness. Um, I'm going to kind of give you a general definition based on their official one, but essentially, it's someone who isn't a member, isn't recognized by any country. any country being their birth country or the country that they are currently residing in. So they're not recognized for various reasons, right? Um, You know, it could be because the country was in a state of war and no longer exists, um, because the government has changed, because they had to leave the country for whatever reason and they're not allowed to come back and they're no longer recognized. There could be a lot of reasons. Um, There are 12 million stateless individuals in the world. And that number is increasing. And according to the UNHCR, um, they're actually every 10 minutes, a new stateless child is born. So if you think about that, and you think about the current state of climate change, and how people are being forced to move and migrate because of the environment and things that are happening, um, it actually creates a preponderance of more people becoming stateless. And so this is a concern, a global concern. You know, people don't have homes and they're not allowed an entry into other homes. And so this is something that I think is important. And that's why I emphasize that in the title of my book. So the subtitle um, is A Stateless Woman's Quest for Citizenship. So Illegal Among Us, A Stateless Woman's Quest for Citizenship. Because I think that while I know that this is a category, because I feel very strongly that in the in the context of immigration, it's this huge monster, right? And then I believe that right now the media focuses on certain groups, which is important, but then there are others that fall through the cracks, and that those being one of those groups being stateless individuals, mm. and mm-hmm. I represent that group and um, feel very strongly about claiming and reclaiming that I was stateless and there are many people like myself who basically don't have a home.
1: Yeah. Well, we are going to come back to that because I think people need to understand how you became stateless and yeah. how you now are not stateless. Not stateless. So you were very, very um, helpful in sending me a chart. Is this something that I could post to the please, show notes later Please, post on? it.
0: It's also on my website. Okay. You can absolutely share it with everyone. Okay. I,
1: well, it's, let's talk about your story a little bit. Yes. So you came to the US in nineteen eighty five when you were four years I old. I was four years old. How I, did you get
0: here? I came um with I came on a visitors visa with my mother and her entire family, or the majority were siblings. Her brothers and sisters were already in the United States. Um many of them had gone to university in the United States, they were US citizens or residents. So I came with her and shortly thereafter my mother remarried to um, an American-born citizen, my mother eventually got her green card. And so I think it's important to emphasize that, too, because what people don't realize and what, what needs to be demystified is that the majority of undocumented individuals are a product of late overstays, mm-hmm. you know, overstaying their visas. Mm-hmm. Many of us come here as children... We are dreamers, so the average age of dreamers is six years old, and we are brought here by our parents legally, and we overstay our visas, mm-hmm. and it's we're just a product of circumstances that mm-hmm. are beyond our control.
1: So your mother got a green card. How did you not get one? Were you left out of the application?
0: I was left out of the application, but this is another thing that I really want to emph- emphasize. And Tamina, perhaps you can understand it. And I think it's part of that immigrant mentality. So. And this is something also when we talk about opportunities, where there are opportunities to um, help change the systemic processes. I think embassies have the opportunity to provide training to representatives of their countries when they enter the U.S. Like, hey, this is what you need to do. If you want to become a citizen or become a permanent resident. This is the processes. So my mom, based on her own ignorance, she came to the U.S. with her little child, me, and she had six other children in DR Congo that were older than me. So her, in her own ignorance, she felt like, this child is safe here in America. Let me help my children who are back home who are suffering.
1: Got it. So that's what happened. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So
0: based on her own ignorance... She did not put me down on the paperwork, assuming that I'm in America, I'm safe. Mm, Now, whether people think that's right or wrong, that's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. But
1: those are the facts. Those are are the facts. facts. And I think it's important for us to sort of move around your little board. When people get that, get to see this, they'll understand. So... Sadly, your father passed away. Your stepfather. My stepfather.
0: Yeah, when I was thirteen. And mm-hmm.
1: then your mother passed away soon yes. thereafter. Yeah. how when I was fifteen. Fifteen. Yes. And so what? So fifteen. You went to the DMV when you were twenty,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's when you discovered information and, and just what happened.
0: Yes. So I, it was actually the Social Security Administration, mm-hmm. um, but. I was – after my mother and stepfather died, I basically was tossed around. I was an orphan. I was tossed around from my mother's family, and I experienced abuse in some households. And eventually – I won't get into all the details, but through the two – two strangers' acts of of kindness is what led me into boarding school. Mm -hmm. Got to boarding school, full scholarship – or actually a benefactor paid my way, and then went to college. And um, and it was while I was in college, and we were trying to figure out my status, um, or lack thereof. And based on our own ignorance, the college and myself, we basically went to the Social Security Administration, right? Because I was trying to adjust my work Permit my ability to work in the US, um, my social security status, because at that time it said non working. Mm-hmm. And that is when I was immediately placed in removal proceedings.
1: Mm. And yes. so, how did that happen? What was the mechanism there? you went to the social security department mm-hmm. and then they notified ICE?
0: They notified, yes. And absolutely. then ICE turned
1: up at your house? No. Or what happened? So, did you they, get did it? It, they
0: didn't, they didn't, because ICE actually, this was right before ICE, right? Mm -hmm. This was still INS, Mm -hmm. Immigration Naturalization Service. So immediately, they saw in the system that, aha, this person has overstayed her visa. She is out of status. And they immediately redirected my case to immigration. So Social Mm -hmm. Security redirected it to immigration. And um, I I received a notice Mm -hmm. to appear for my first master calendar hearing probably a month and a half later.
1: And so that was in two thousand one, would you That's say? That's right. Still? It was
0: right around nine eleven. Mm. Right around nine eleven. So that um, timing mm-hmm.
1: alone couldn't have helped either because right. suddenly there's a heightened, you know, uh, there sense was the of
0: heightened fear demonization, which is can't believe it's gotten worse, but you know, demonization of immigrants, um, you know, um this feeling of being a fugitive, not wanting anyone to know.
1: How old were you a us? I was
0: eighteen started when I was 18 and then continued until I was 26.
1: And so you get this notice to appear. You don't really know what it is. No. And so what happens then?
0: Well, um, the college at the time was incredibly supportive. I went to Hamilton College in upstate New York. Um, they were able to identify through, you know, through recommendations, a pro bono attorney and um, that they highly recommended and so this attorney prepared me and said i recall and this is the scariest part of um the whole journey this is how it starts for many people i talk to other mentees who are undocumented and are going through the immigration courts he said if we get judge a things are going to be okay judge b we don't want him at all judge c it just depends on his mood so Here I am, hoping that we get Judge A. You know, it seems so arbitrary. And guess which judge I am directed to? Judge B. Mm -hmm. Who was removed from the Miami immigration courts because um, of his reputation of just being belligerent and losing his temper with people who walked through his courtroom. So they redirected him to this Buffalo courtroom. Mm. And guess what? (laughs) And so it was like wow, you know, all odds were stacked against me at the very beginning.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And so you have a master calendar hearing that day. Um, it, do you get another master calendar hearing? Yeah. And for those who don't know, master calendar hearing is really the way I describe it to my clients is you're going to like a car factory and the people at the car factory have to figure out what's happening to this car and they line them up yes. and, you know, yes. they're just figuring it out. And so that's what a master calendar yes. hearing is. It's
0: and i love that description because it is very mechanic
1: mm-hmm. mechanical
0: um except when you're actually the person right. who's being figured out it's terrifying because you don't know depending on the mood of the judge and anything could you know upset or mm-hmm. offend the judge mm-hmm. right so if for whatever reason you moved and you did not update your address within the last week of your move, Your judge, the judge could say, you know, this person's trying to hide or flee. I'm really upset, you know. And these master calendar hearings, in terms of like the psychology of it, is, you know, you're, as the individual going through it, you're terrified. You don't know what's going to happen because anything could happen. You could be asked to, you know, go into detention if that's the Mm-hmm. the judge wants or it could just keep going for years and years and years which what happened, to, happened to me for seven So let's seven get to years. that. Yes. So you
1: had a master calendar and then you had several master calendars. I had why seven did, of them. Why yes. did you have seven?
0: Because... Our case, we kept changing the, the attorney that I had. I, cha- I went through six attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, we changed our argument. First, it was nunc pro tunc, which, which equates to then for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to see if we could allow, because of the circumstances in which I became undocumented, we wanted to see if we could get um, my status adjusted as it would at a certain time. At that particular mm-hmm. moment, under,
1: under your mom. Yep. and mm-hmm. then
0: eventually we changed in the eleventh hour, based on the direction of my attorney, was changed We changed it to the battered child statute. Okay, so that is why. But the end at the end of the day it was strategic from now from what mm-hmm. i understand now having spoken to many immigration attorneys sometimes it's a way to buy time
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's a game between the lawyer and the court mm-hmm. right it's only sometimes when there are no other options this is what you need to do to extend
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know the time and sometimes it's because um, the judge is not satisfied with the evidence or the argument and wants you to bring more to the mm-hmm. court.
1: Sometimes the interpreter doesn't turn up. Right. You know, It, it could it, be anything. It could be anything. Could I, be... I, I had a case in which I don't do removal anymore, but I had this one case in which, you know, I was pregnant at the time with my first child, and we didn't have this interpreter for a very special language. Yeah. And we had a few um, ICHs, individual calendar hearings, yeah. which is the trial date. Yep. Yep. And I was still pregnant, and the interpreter didn't turn up, Up and then we had a break in time, and you know court dates go on into you know for years years. in advance, and so eventually we go to court for a trial, and I'm pregnant, and the judge was like, "Hmm, Miss Watson, you appear to be pregnant." (laughs) No kidding. And I'm like, "Well, I can assure you, it's not the same one." (laughs) Right. But the trial did not go on that day because we didn't have that yeah. specialized interpreter. And eventually the case was closed. So there are a number of reasons and I can understand there that.
0: Are so many reasons, but it feels like torture Absolutely. for the person who's waiting because you don't know. It's like anything could happen and you're just waiting and waiting years. And then you go in to master calendar hearing. It could be a five minute. So all of that anxiety, months of anxiety for five minutes. I'm going to
1: come back to you know? that in yeah. a minute. Yeah. Question for you. Yes. Um, eventually you had a trial. Yes, individual I had two ca- trials. Is, yes. yes, I was yes. going to ask you about mm-hmm. why you had two. Mm-hmm. But what was your final ground for relief?
0: My case went to the Board of Immigration Appeals twice. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it was the battered child statute. Mm-hmm. I fell under VAWA. I was a VAWA case, so um, Violence Against Women's mm-hmm. Act, based on the battered child statute. So it was because the Board of Immigration Appeals remanded the case back to the judge and said, No, we're gonna make the decision that this young woman should get permanent resident status and provided like a six-page response. Mm -hmm. I am told even to this day, talking to many immigration attorneys, that's just unheard of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that the Board of Immigration would even review a file in with such extensive, you know, focus and and provide a response. It's just it's like one in a a thousand, you know, um, statistically speaking. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's you, really
1: what it was. That's, so that's how you got a second trial. They remanded it down.
0: That's how, yes, I got a second trial. It was remanded the first time. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, the BIA said, case closed.
1: Mm,
0: okay. We're making the judge give you permanent resident status.
1: Okay. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. And so then they co- closed the case and then you're able to adjust your status.
0: Then I got a green card. And yes, so then you filed
1: one. your forms with USCIS because they closed the, the case for you? Yes. And I think okay.
0: that was something, this was my sixth attorney who did all the filing and the paperwork, but I think that everything was expedited because it was Directed by the Board of Immigration Appeals. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the highest immigration court. Mm-hmm. So once they make that final ruling,
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: like, it's, you know, it's fortune that just, you know, pre- is presented to you.
1: It's, it's a very, it's almost <laughs> like a, a um, golden egg kind of situation. It, it doesn't really happen. It is.
0: It really is. It's like if you've seen Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, I mean, just to simplify things, it is. It's the golden ticket.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, really I, I do want you to come back to our show in the future because our time is going to be very limited. But I want you to share very, very concisely what you think that this administration's doing with the BIA and the the way they're holding the judges hostage. Yes. Because they wouldn't have the luxury um, to perhaps do what they had done for you at this point because the attorney general is taking cases to himself only to be able to create precedents that... Don't allow things.
0: Yeah. Judges don't have any judicial independence. It's really unfortunate. Their hands are tied, many of them. They have quotas. Many attorneys who don't have a background in immigration law are pointed to being immigration judges. And that's what's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I think this is more recent. And this is the direction of the current attorney general. So I think that the system is set up for, for failure. Um, it's set up for individuals who are going through this to fail right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's um, failure, like a mental breakdown, it's almost like a psychological warfare in a way. Um, you're either going to break down through the process of just going through courts for years and years and years, or you're going to break down in the detention facility. It's just, it's set up that way. And so, um, you know, one of the things I think we need to do is change. It's it's systemic, right? Um, immigration courts should not fall under the de- under the executive branch, why is the attorney general overseeing this? Why can't it fall under the judicial system just like all the other courts? you know um why is it that I think the percentage is, the the percentage is eighty six percent of individuals who've been detained are not are don't have immigration uh immigration lawyer representation in the courtroom that is. Appalling. Mm-hmm. I think everyone that walks through those courts, any anybody has the right, just like every other court of law to have legal representation. Mm-hmm. That's that's terrifying it's absolutely terrifying
1: our our listeners our regular listeners will know that that's one of the issues that we have been particularly advocating for yeah because right to representation taking away your due process yes it, you know it, it's so in, foundational yeah. to the legal system and it's definitely not happening and i think your voice is one That is so important because you were 20 to 26 while you were doing this. How old are the people going into court at the moment? Absolutely. Um Absolutely. you feel oppressed,
0: violated, confused, scared. I mean, this was me with my college education, my graduate school education, with the background in immigration law. And I was walking through these courtrooms feeling this way, feeling completely voiceless. So I cannot imagine anybody younger than me, anyone who doesn't have the community that I had having to go through this. This is terrifying and I really do know that if it, it affects you psychologically if not while you're going through it later
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean I was I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder I was so scared walking into those courtrooms even now when I go and support my mentees when they're going through courts I like I have you know I have anxiety walking into that courtroom so I cannot imagine it's inhumane to have any child, any minor having to go through that courtroom, let alone by themselves. Mm -hmm. So I feel strongly, and one of the things I'm trying to build is a foundation where I can provide the three resources that worked for me. I stand by these. I cannot guarantee that it will give the same, offer the same outcome that I had, but it offers sustainability. And one is the courts should at least allow, if if not immigration, everyone having an immigration attorney, at least an ally, someone to walk into those court, into every court hearing with somebody else. No one should have to walk into that courtroom alone. It's, it's debilitating. Even talking about it now, I get anxious. Like I, mm-hmm. it's like I going tell. back. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just, it's heartbreaking. You to said know three that.
1: things. So what's this? What are the other two?
0: So the other is mental health counseling. I really believe in that, you know, and so I am actually partnering and this is one of my call to actions. If there's anyone out there who is interested in learning in the mental health, you know, field that would be interested in partnering with me in some way, because I think that that's a resource that's needed, Mm -hmm. right, for individuals who are walking to that through that courtroom to have support and even those who are not walking into that courtroom who are... Who haven't been, you know, found "quote unquote" yet? Um, just the the psycho- psychology of having to be undocumented and seeing and 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 hearing what people believe about them. They need that, right? Mm-hmm. So the second is, you know, um, mental health counseling, and the third is being able to access an immigration lawyer, having access to immigration representation. It's mm-hmm. so hard to find because immigration attorneys are inundated.
1: Yeah, and they're let me, inundated. That's my cue to tell you something actually, yes. because as of today, a newspaper, one of the biggest bar associations in uh, in our area called King County Bar Association, I'm a board of, uh, I'm on the board of that uh, particular okay, association. Uh, an article just came out about the nonprofit that I have started, great. Um, called Washington Immigrant Defense Network, okay. and the idea is that we will train lawyers in removal defense Um, uh, law and group them with experienced immigration lawyers so that the knowledge of the immigration lawyer can be expanded upon. Excellent. And we are collaborating with the broader immigration um, uh, world so that we can bring more expertise to this exact scenario that you're talking about. Um, Please go to the King County Bar Association website, KCBA. And you will be able to find that article. It might be behind the paid wall, but email me if you uh, really would like to read it. Um, You know, tell people about the book. The title of it, where they can find it on your website and your contact yes. info, Perfect. because we're going to run out of time very soon. I knew but I this would happen. <laughs> want people to know <laughs> uh, that they they yes. they can find your information. Yes. So the title of my book is Illegal Among
0: Us, A Stateless Woman's Quest for Citizenship. But you can just look up Illegal Among Us. You can find it on Amazon as well as my website, www.martinecalao.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Martine underscore kalau. M-A-R-T-I-N-E underscore K-A-L-A-W and on Instagram at Martine Kalau.
1: Wonderful. And um, if people have questions and comments, can they email you?
0: Absolutely. They can email me. You can actually go on my website and you can submit um, a question directly through my through my website. Um, you can set up time to for a consultation and also you can reach out to me on through social media.
1: And your book, where can they buy it?
0: On Amazon and directly on my website. So if you go on my website, you can... It'll, there's a link to Amazon. So
1: Wonderful, yes. wonderful. Well, you know, I really could talk to you all day. Me too. And I think <laughs> it's important um, that your voice remains loud Thank you. for this particular you know, issue. And I think it could be used for many different things. Yeah. And listeners should know, we actually haven't met properly before. We also mm-hmm. didn't get a chance to actually narrow down what we were going to talk about. But I knew the immigration court this system is... is something that you would have insight. I'm so passionate about this. Mm -hmm. Like if there was we're going to narrow
0: down one what one aspect of immigration that mm-hmm. I really am focused on, it's this.
1: Well, I'm glad yeah. we connected and I'm so yeah. glad you're able to share a little bit about your story with our listeners. You, we will put all the links to uh, the show notes uh, so people can find them. And, you know, stay in touch with us and let absolutely. us know what you're doing. Yes, okay? absolutely. Well, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and elsewhere. Please rate us so other people can find us. But please also share share the podcast with your friends and family. Thank you so much for joining us and we will be here very soon again. Bye-bye.
0: Tamina Talks is brought to you by Watson Immigration Law. Founded in 2009, Watson Immigration Law is one of Seattle's premier immigration firms, specializing in business and investment visas, but offering a wide range of immigration services. If you need assistance with your immigration needs, Watson Immigration Law is ready to help. Just call 206 292-5237 to schedule an appointment. Mention this podcast to receive a 10% discount off your initial consultation fee.